Thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church Podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. In this episode, Pastor Andrew talks about the last piece of the financial puzzle, savings. We've heard it said that money is the root of all evil, but that's not what God says. In 1 Timothy 6.10, God says that the love of money is the problem. When we understand that we are simply managers of the money that God has given us, we can direct our financial blessings for the important things in life, including offerings that advance God's kingdom. You can find more information about who we are, what we do, or when we meet by going to thefoundrychurch.com. God bless. Uh, the kids downstairs, they're going to be learning on that foundation that they've been having from Victoria and all those teachers. And we are excited for the growth that is happening. It's not just a taste for you parents and some of the stuff that you can be seeing and uh, hearing them singing for the next probably a few weeks as they learn uh, that song. And before I jump in today, I want to make you aware of a couple just a quick uh, statistics as they're heading downstairs. Listen, mom and dads are two to three times, right, respectively, right, two to three times, uh, two times for moms, three times for, for dads, more influential than any church program. Just the way it is, right? right? And research shows that only 12% of churches' youth have ever asked their mom about faith, and then it drops to only 5% have ever talked to their dad about faith. Only 9% are, are Bible reading in any form in the home. Only 9% where uh, the parents are guiding their kids to forge a lifelong reliance on God, right? To, to fulfill the Great Commission, to, to be disciples who make disciples. Only 9% in Christian homes, all right? This isn't the country or the world. In Christian homes, only 9%. Right? The, the kids in our church will spend approximately 40 hours in junior church or the Foundry Students Youth Ministry that's happening next Sunday uh, night. Approximately 40 hours. And that number is actually old. Right? That, was, that was the number pre-COVID. Now they say it's down to more like, like 28 hours right? uh, with, with how families have other commitments than on, on Sunday morning. Right? So, so it's even less. However, though, kids will spend about 3,000 hours with their parents in a year at their home, in their home, just in their home, not counting other, other things. So we are in this together. You've heard us talk about this before, right? We want to equip you. We want to partner together as a church family as this local outpost in the kingdom of God, and you as an individual family that is a part of, of this church family. You as, as moms, you as dads, as parents together. We want to work together with our, our foundry kids and with our, our, our foundry students ministry, our junior high and high school. Right, we'll give you resources to help you lead your family and talking about what God is doing in your life and in the life of your children and of your students. Now listen, we can give you all the resources, all right? But you got to do it. 
we got to step up to the table together and help each other. And so we want to we make our 40 hours, like I said, probably a little less now, meaningful right? and, and fun, right? things that, that Jim is passionate about. We have to capitalize on that time. We have to make them uh, excellent. We have to partner together. Right? Kids, uh, they, they leave the church. Students leave the church because of hypocrisy, right? We know that, right? Parents don't live on their faith or they, they don't see them forging a lifelong reliance on God or, or even worse, they, 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 they see it only on Sunday, right? And so it's not real. And so this is our, this is our why, right? Here at the Founder, we want to reach the next, next generation so that we have a future, Right? You hear me, if you've been a part of our, our pasta with, with the pastor, um, kind of Foundry 101, or if you were here at the very beginning four years ago when we relaunched, that there are three key groups that we uh, try to reach. Uh, one of those groups, uh, we say, is we want to reach the man, so we reach the whole family, because statistics show uh, that 90% of the time, if you reach the, the husband in a family unit, the rest of the family will come to Christ, uh, and that's only like... 13% for, for moms and 7% for kids. Not that we don't want to reach the kids or the mom, but we want to focus, kind of, that's, you know, why we don't have flowers or doilies and, you know, kind of more <laughs> man-centric style, right? We sing our songs lower, right? It's why we do those things, right? Some churches will sing uh, these songs, we, we transpose them so we're lower, we sing them lower so men can sing along or, or a little bit more comfortable to them, right? It's why we have food all the time, right? right? You think the games out here in the lobby are, are for the kids, they're for, they're for the men because uh, study after study shows that men, they got to have something in their hands when they're uncomfortable, right? And so they can sit and play checkers with their kid for the awkward 15 minutes before service when they're new, Right? That's why we do those things, right? So that's one group. And then we say we want to reach the, uh, the next generation so that we have a future. And then we want to reach our neighbors so we can change the culture, right? And, and you know that this year we've been calling the year of the striker, which is that blacksmith apprentice type uh, person. And so that's why we're spending all of this time and energy uh, looking and, and searching for what God wants us to do and praying over that and building upon this foundation uh, that our, our teachers have laid in the last uh, few years. Right? And it's exciting. Right? This, is, this is why we're focusing so hard on, on creating this foundation and, and why there's, if you haven't been downstairs, it's completely different down there. Take a look down there today. Uh, that's why we're, we're investing in our student ministry. That's why uh, Jim is building on that foundation that was laid uh, by Victoria and all the other teachers. So more of the why. Right, we believe that God's hand is upon us. Right? His blessing is, is leading us like it's never led us before. Guys, I'm excited more than ever to be in ministry with you guys, serving and striving for the kingdom of God because God has us in a place that is just going to blow our mind. We pray and thank God for the revival that he's bringing. Right? Not even what we're experiencing right now, but in the future. I mean, things that we can't even imagine. Right? 
His work that is alive and active in our lives, and we're so thankful for what he's going to be doing. Right? And so we're, we're excited to have the kids uh, going downstairs and capitalizing on those 40 hours uh, next Sunday, right? They're going to be, be checking in downstairs. There's a whole new computer system to check them in for security purposes. Uh, the, there's going to be awesome new stuff down there for safety, for fun, for, for, for meaning, so that they can help forge their life on God. We can help you help your children forge a lifelong reliance on God. Uh, the students next Sunday night here at 6 o'clock. I know I said it earlier, but it may be 6.30. I don't remember my times. All right. Thank you, Cameron. 6 o'clock here. Right. Uh, that's, that's Jim and Kim, myself, Christina, who's who's in Cincinnati today, but uh, uh, Tom, a bunch of other, other volunteers working with that. We're going to have some fun, but we're also going to learn how to forge ahead and live a life that is for God, for his glory, for his honor, for his purpose. From, from babies, through, through our, our students, through us adults, this is, this is exciting stuff. So real quick, before we... Uh, uh, get started with the message today while we wrap up our, our series on spent. I just want to take a moment and I want to pray uh, for this next generation, right? For this, this, this future, right? And sometimes I feel a little, a little jaded in saying that, but they're the church right now, right? These kids, right? They, they lead us. They, 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 can, they can teach us. They, they, can, they can sing. We're going to have them up here taking over uh, uh, a whole service later on in January, leading us in, in songs and in fun purple monster stuff, I guess, right? They're, these kids, man, I'm excited to see what God does in their life. You know, there's a saying in Restoration Movement churches, um, and that just means a fancy way of saying churches that just want to be like the book of Acts in the New Testament. We want to restore that, right? Uh, there's a saying that uh, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. And uh, our principles never change. We want our kids to forge a lifelong reliance on God. We want them to know the truth of Scripture, the grace of God, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, every two years, our culture is changing, it says. Every two years, right? And so we got we to gotta do work to stay relevant, to, to help them learn, right, in the ways that uh, they can take the, the gospel, take the, the truth into their, their sphere, into their community, into their school, right? And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. As always, as always, Lord, we want to make it very clear that we are thankful for your lordship in our lives, that you're the high king, and we're thankful so much that you have placed each and every one of these kids in this church community, in this kingdom that you have, Lord. We're thankful for the kids that don't even know that they're coming here. They may not even be born, but they're going to be here in a year, Lord. Uh, their, their mom and dad, uh, they haven't even driven past this place, but they're going to be coming. You know them, Lord. because You knit them together in, in their mother's womb, Lord. And you have a purpose and a plan. And Lord, we're just thankful that you want us to be hero makers of these kids. Lord, because these kids are going to blow our minds by how devoted, how purposeful, how 
excited they are for you and your kingdom. Our, our students, Lord, our, our high school students, our junior high students, Lord, Lord, I am just blown away by how, how amazing each and every one of these kids are. And we are so thankful and so humbled that you have placed them in our midst. It's for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, hey, I'm just going to jump in. We don't need to show the bumper video. Now, for those of you who don't really know me, um, and maybe if you do know me, but I am an avid reader. I love to read. If you don't believe me, look behind the baptistry over here. It's like book city. Um, go to my house. I drive Christina nuts because we like to think of ourselves as minimalists. But you go to our house, and in the back wall of our dining room area, uh, there is a stack of books this high and about as long as the front part of the stage. All right? Just, just stacks of books that, that uh, and some of those are Christina's, but that we just read and we just, just stack there. And she's like, you don't decorate with books. I was like, I'm not decorating. You decorate. I'm just reading them. I don't know where else to put them. All right, so I, I love to read. It's one of my, my favorite things to do. Like I said, Christina's been gone all week. I read a lot when she's gone. I read more when she's gone. It's, just what, I, it's, it's what I lean to when I'm bored or when I uh, have some time on my hands. I, I read. I read all the time. I, I love how the, uh, a new book feels in your hands. I love how uh, an old book looks. Uh, one of the most exciting days I had last year, I was in an attic uh, at, at a house that uh, uh, a great preacher from the 1800, 1809, he had lived in. It was his house, and I got to explore and pull up some boards in the attic, and I found an original copy of a book that was written by Alexander Campbell, like, <laughs> from that time period. Like, you would have thought I won the, the, the Powerball from a couple weeks ago, Right? It's just amazing to hunt those down and, and to read those. I read newer trans versions of them because you can't read the old ones. But it's just it's what excites me. I, I love reading so much that even on our first date, Christina and I went to a bookstore. And, and while we were roaming around, I found Christina uh, sitting in the middle of an aisle reading a book that she just kind of started flipping through. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh, this is the woman I'm going to marry, right? First date, she's sitting there in the middle of a bookstore, in the middle of the aisle on the floor reading a book, and, and I joke around with her, that was not really the first time, but it was pretty close where I thought, ah, I'm going to marry this woman. So it, so it comes as no surprise, in preparation for this series, uh, I read a few books, and I do for every series, uh, but I was excited to read one book in particular because it was on my list for a long time. It's been on the New York Times best-selling uh, list forever, which is probably was, should have been my first warning, uh, but it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You ever heard of that book? You've seen it. You, you've seen that in the news. You've seen it uh, on talk shows or heard about it on the radio or, or in, in any bookshop. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I assumed that because it had been the bestseller uh, for such a long time that it's got to be good, that it was going to be full of all kinds and all sorts of great information for me to pass along to you uh, in, in this series. And so this is how the book, uh, uh, the book starts. It says, my two dads, like he's using like an, uh, 
uh, an illustration. It's my two dads had opposing attitudes and thought. One dad recommended this. He said, he said this. He said, study hard so you can find a good company to work for. Now, the other dad recommended this. He said, study hard. All right, go to the next one. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Study hard so you can find a good company to buy. Cameron's always got my back. Thank you, bud. All right. All right, one dad said, the reason I'm not rich is because I have kids. The, the other dad said, the reason I must be rich is because I have kids. All right, well, one encouraged talking about money and business at the dinner table. And the other dad forbade the subject of money to be discussed over a meal. And now one dad said this, when it comes to money, play it safe and don't take risks. The other dad said, right, learn to manage risk. Now, one dad struggled to save a few dollars. The other simply created investments, right? So the, the author goes on. He says, at the age of nine, the author decided to listen to and learn from his rich dad about money, even though the poor dad was the one with all the college degrees and looked better on paper. All right. That was like the first pages of the book, right? And I was like, I'm sold. I could not wait to dig in. Well, it seems the only part of the book that was good was those first few pages, right? I, I was sold, but then there was this question, right? What is the rich dad's strategy, right? That, that's, my, that's what you think, right? When you read that, you think, well, what did, what did he do then? Why, why is he rich, right? That is where this whole book took a nosedive. Now, if you read it and it's like your favorite book, I'm sorry, I got other books you should read, all right? The rich dad's whole strategy about creating wealth is simple. He put together real estate deals that other people would not because they think they were too risky. They were just too risky of deals. Now, now there's a reason all of those risky deals are easy to get, right? Because they're risky, Right, that's why the dad got them, right? The rich dad got them. And, and here's the problem. A whole bunch of people have taken his advice, and instead of, of getting rich, what do you think happened? They lost their shirts, right? They lost everything, right? All their finances took a nosedive. Now, now, risky real estate investments are a lot like the lottery. Every once in a while, you may hit it rich, but the vast majority of the time, you're just going to lose a lot, or at the very best, you're just going to kind of replace the money that you put into the system. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but we are still in the middle of some very tough economic times, right? And no matter who is at fault, right? I don't care about your politics, right? No matter who's at fault, we find ourselves in this time. And I think we can agree on one thing, uh, that the last thing we need, right, during tough economical times is an infomercial get-rich-quick scheme to get us out of those quick, hard times, All right? So what's the solution, right? Well, what's the solution? More importantly, what is the answer to wealth in light of our, our forging a lifelong reliance on God? Right? So, so here's the onion that we need to peel today. What does the Christian do about money? Right? 
I mean, we've been talking about money and finances and giving and debt the last couple of weeks. What does the Christian do about wealth? Right, today I want to spend some time introducing you to a third rich dad. And this dad was so rich that he makes Robert uh, Kiyosaki, the author of that book's dad, look like a penniless pauper. Right, so 3,000 years ago, God came to a man named Solomon. Right, came to this man named Solomon who had just been named uh, king and asked him something. God asked Solomon something that I would love for God to ask me. God asked Solomon, tell me whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. All right, who, raise your hand or put a comment up if you're watching the live stream if you wouldn't mind God asking you that question. All right, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Right? Yeah, God saying, what? what? Right, what, what do you want? And I'll give it to you is an incredible question. And Solomon's answer was absolutely brilliant. It was a stud of an answer. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge. Give me wisdom and knowledge. Real quick, Cameron, is this me making that noise? That's me? All right. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge. Man, this guy, right? Ask for lots of land. Uh, he didn't ask for lots of women, right? He didn't ask for any of that stuff. He said, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Godly wisdom. And with that, God said this in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is in the Old Testament, all right? Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. Or you can go to the Foundry Burke app and download the app, and it's pulled up there for you. Or download the YouVersion app, which is a great online or app. Second Chronicles, chapter one, is where we're going. Second Chronicles. All right. It says that, or 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, simply says this. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you. Right? You didn't ask for me to smite somebody. I, I could have had a list. Right? And you not even asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches and possessions and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you. Right? And none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Now jump to, jump to verse 15. It says, And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made a cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shepla area. Think about that, all right? And then in chapter 9, go ahead and flip over to chapter 9 of 2 Chronicles, all right? Verse 22, it says this, The king Solomon excelled 
excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Right? This guy, this, this King Solomon, was the, the Warren Buffett, the Jeff Bezos, the, the, I don't know, who are the other guys, right? Uh, yeah, all these, all these people, all wrapped up into one, and all those other dudes, all wrapped up into one of his time. Now listen, listen, Foundry Church, right? He was a man who received his wisdom from God. He was a man who received his wisdom from God and is also the richest man who has ever lived. Those things are connected. We can see that in his life. Right, well, now, now that this, this, this rich dad is who I want financial advice from, right? This King Solomon, he's the rich dad that we should take notice of. Luckily, that king, full of wealth and wisdom, wrote a little book uh, about how to do life well. And the book is called the book of Proverbs. Isn't that interesting? And spoiler alert, if you don't know, we've been looking at this rich dad since week one of this series a few weeks ago to see what our financial plan should be. And it is not some get-rich-quick scheme. Right, the first part of the plan that we've been talking about uh, with this rich dad, what he showed us is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, where it says this, right, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Right, that's what we looked at first, right? So the very first week, we made a commitment together, right? The first part of our strategy to find financial freedom is simply this, to commit to attack and pay off all of my consumer debt, right? We learned that it's like a, a weight that is around our neck that just weighs us down and it locks us in and we, we can't be as, as flexible as we need to be, Right? That God says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't make money more important than God. So we committed together to attack it with vengeance. Right? The, the rich dad, Solomon, wrote down what he considers the second step to becoming financially free in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, where he says this. He says, honor the Lord right, with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Right, that's what we talked about last week, right? Last week we talked about tithing, uh, giving the first 10% of what we make back to God. And so we committed to uh, the 90 day tithe challenge. Right? We, we said this, we we're going to commit to tithing 10% of our income for the next 90 days. Now, if you did not make this commitment and you've been thinking about it and, and you've been praying about it and God is leading you to make this commitment for the next 90 days, you can make that commitment today. Right? You can say, I'm going to tithe for the next 90 days and I'm going to test God and what he says in his word. This is where he says, test me. This is, this is where he says it in, in the Bible. Test me in this, he says. Tithe. Give me the first 10% and see what I can do with the 90 in your life. And so that starts today. You can still grab a card. You can fill it out. All right, they're going to be in the back during the chili cook-off back here, right back here by the door. You can fill that out. Put that in the little box there on your way out. Listen, 
Here, the ultimate rich dad promises that God blesses us when we do this, right? When we tithe. And you know, I I don't usually have trouble convincing people that they should pay off debt. This first thing Solomon tells us to do. I don't usually get any emails about that or questions about that. But sometimes it's a bit of a struggle. It's a bit of a struggle to convince people that tithing will change your finances, it will. God's, again, God says, test me in this. And the problem arises because we quickly forget who owns our finances in the first place. Getting the who owns what mixed up in our minds is a big deal. And this reminds me of a, a, a story that was shared by another uh, pastor in Los Angeles, Greg Lowry. Uh, Greg said an elderly woman who uh, was coming out of a grocery store when she noticed uh, four grown men kind of rummaging through her car and prepared for, for just an event, she, she nervously pulled out a 38 revolver out of her purse and she screamed at these men who were looking through her car. She said, okay, jerks. All right? She said, okay, jerks, I've got a gun and I'm not afraid to use it. If you don't get out of my car... I'll blow your heads off, right? This old lady. Well, the, the four guys, they, they turned, they ran. She calmed herself down. She placed the bags in the back seat, uh, and then she, she called the police. And the police came, and, and they came over, and, and they, were, they, were, they were trying to convince her, like, hey, what's going on? You need to calm down. And she finally realized that it wasn't her car, right? She felt so bad, she immediately uh, drove to the police station with her car and, and turned herself in, right? Even though the other officer's like, you don't have to. And, and the funny thing is, is that the, the police chief was hearing all this and he was working at the front desk there and those four men were in there talking about a crazy lady who pulled a gun on them for trying to get into their car, Listen, sometimes we get mixed up who owns what, don't we? Right? right? We think it's our car when it's someone else's car. Right? But, but the key to God working in our finances is to settle the who is the owner question for once and for all. Right? The Bible teaches us this. It says God owns it all. We manage it for him. Right? He owns it all. We manage it for him. Now look, right? God wants to channel money through us to help people find their way back to him, right? That's the mission, right? Guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. We want people to find their way back to him, to have this relationship with him. Now, let me explain it like this. In the Holy Land, there are two bodies of water, right? There's the the Sea of Galilee, and then there's the Dead Sea, right? Uh, in some of your Bibles, you, you may have a map in there, and you can look at these, right, in, in the back. The Sea of Galilee has a river coming into it and a river that is coming out of it. And because of that, this place, this, this Sea of Galilee, is just teeming with life. This is where the disciples did their fishing operation. This is where they fished. Uh, this is where, where, where they got their, their, their finances, right? This is where they made a living, right, fishing this area because it was full of sea life. Now, the Dead Sea, if you're looking at that map in your Bible, that's a different story. The Dead Sea has a river going into it, but no outlet. 
Right? There's no way for that water to escape. And because of that, the water is just putrid. Right? Nothing can live in it. It has concentrated salt to such a high level, you supposedly kind of float. Has anyone been in the Dead Sea? Do you float a little bit? Right? That's what I've heard, right? And because of that, right, because of all that salt, there's nothing in the water there. The Dead Sea is just not a name, right? Nothing lives in the Dead Sea because there is no outlet, right? This is, is an example of our lives, Foundry Church. We are meant to be instruments through which God channels resources, right? We are to be an instrument, right? His hands and to be his feet, right? His, his arms, his legs, uh, his nose hairs uh, of the Lord God Almighty for this outpost of the kingdom of God. We all serve a purpose, Right? He has, has work for us. He has tasks for us. He has things for us to do with what he has blessed us with. The giftedness, the, uh, the abilities, but also the financial resources that he's placed in our lives. Right? When God gives us resources and we turn and give those resources to, to help people find their way back to him, to help people forge that lifelong reliance on God, God keeps giving us more resources right when God gives us resources and we don't give them away we become like the dead sea does that make sense right maybe maybe you've been a a Christian for years and you never fully embrace this and you wonder why things in your life just keep tasting like salt right well this is the reason right God says that 10% is mine Right? You, you give me that, live off the 90, and I will bless you because of it. And that's what we've been talking about. That's why last week we committed ourselves to that second part of the financial plan that comes from this wise, smart dad, this rich dad Solomon, King Solomon, right? And I boldly commit myself to tie 10% of my income to God through the local church, right? But there's more. Right? There's more to this equation than just getting out of debt and tithing. Rich Dad Solomon uh, shares this Proverbs, uh, proverb in Proverbs 13.11. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 13.11. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you want to. But it says this, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Right? But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And that is accumulating wealth by saving for the future, right? Little by little. You're socking it away, right? We miss something in the English translation uh, with this verse, in any English translation, right? It's dishonest money in the Hebrew, right? It's, the, it's translated from the word hasty, quick, hasty, dishonest money. Other translations uh, might say, you might have one that says hasty money dwindles away. Right? It just dwindles. It disappears. The point is this. People who are in the habit of going after those, those quick, rich schemes always end up losing money and almost always end up cutting some ethical corners. So Solomon's solution, this wise dad, this rich dad's solution is developing the discipline to save money little by little. Right? To, to discipline ourselves. So, so now whenever we start talking about generating wealth, Right? There's this, this Christian subculture, and some of you, be honest, you're thinking this, right? 
there's this Christian subculture voice that immediately starts taking, uh, talking back in our head. I got it, right? Right? I grew up in the church, right? Says, uh, don't tell, uh, you know, we, we start to, don't tell them to become come wealthy. That's sinful, right? right? So, so let me ask this question. Is it more spiritual to be poor? Right? Let's look at this in light of, of Scripture here. How many of you grew up in churches that basically taught that the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are? Right? We kind of, we may not say that, but we kind of feel that sometimes, right? I've never actually heard that, but I basically became aware of this idea, right? I think I got this because of a few things, and maybe this will they'll kind of clear it up with you or, or resonate with you, right? We hear this sometimes. Money is the root of all evil, right? We, we hear that, right? All right, we've heard that. We might have even said that. I heard so many people say that money was the root of all evil. And then I actually looked up that section of scripture, that quote, and listened to what it actually says in the Bible. You can look at it in your, in your Bible. Just don't take my word for it. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 10. Let me turn there and find it. Working with one hand today. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Right? It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Right? You see, what does it say? Right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? Not just money. Right? I don't know about you, but, but haven't you realized some of the people who, who love money are the most of those who are, are, are like broke most of the time? Right? The other thing that made me think that it's more spiritual to be poor was, was, was Jesus. Our Lord was poor. Right? And we know that, right? He was traveling. He was poor. I just kind of assumed that if I was to model my life after Jesus, since he was poor, the poor I became right, the closer to Jesus I was, right, and that's absolutely false, once I, I started looking at it, right, for years, I had this idea that Jesus uh, was mad at rich people, but what we have to realize is that some of the most godly people, some of the most kingdom-influencing people, right, are people who cultivated an approach to life that consistently built wealth, Right, think of the woman named Martha in Scripture, a friend of Jesus in the Gospels. Right, Jesus spent three whole years of ministry walking from an area called Galilee to the city of Jerusalem. Right, that's what he did. He just walked for his ministry. Three whole years from Galilee to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to here, Jerusalem, this whole area. Right, two miles outside of Jerusalem, there lived a wealthy woman by the name of Martha. At some point during his ministry, Martha came in contact with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. Right? It says this. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Right? This passage is simple, but it's also significant for a couple of reasons. First, in that day, women didn't own property. Right? And it says, right, it was Martha's house. Second, Jesus 
always had a large posse with him. Right? His squad was like stacked. Right? He had all kinds of people with him. And so this house must have been pretty big. Right? It was so big that in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 39, uh, it tells us that, Jesus, uh, that Martha, she had a sister named Mary who lived with her, and also, presumably, all of Mary's children as well. Right? And then in John 11, that leads us to, to know that Martha's brother, Lazarus, lived with them as well. Right? So there's a, there's a lot happening in this house. Right? A fairly good-sized house. Over time, Martha's house became like a base of operations for Jesus who came to Jerusalem. All right, so here was this woman who had cultivated a lifestyle of building wealth. And Jesus comes along, and what does he say to her? Nothing. Right? Right, nothing. Right? He didn't tell her to sell it all and give it to the poor like he's done for other people. Right? He doesn't instruct her to do these things. He didn't, he didn't say, give it to me, like, let, like sign the, the, the property over to me, to Jesus, right? Jesus knew her heart was in the right place. She, she knew that her money and her house were gifts from the God that she was forging her life on. And if Jesus needed it for the kingdom of God, there would be no problem. Right? It, it was, it was going to be used for the kingdom of God. Right, look, look at this. Possessing wealth is not the problem. Being possessed by wealth and thinking that you own it, that's the problem. Right? right uh, so what happens is, is when people think money is evil, they just subconsciously choose an approach to life that regularly depletes their savings and they never have any money. Right, Dave Ramsey says it like this. If wealth is spiritually bad, right, then good people can't have it. So all the bad people get it. And if we all abandon money because some misguided souls view it as evil, then the only ones with money will be the pornographer, the drug dealer, or the pimp. Right? All of this brings us to the third thing that a Christian does with their money. And the third thing that I'm going to challenge us to do, right, is this. Commit to discipline myself to boldly save the wealth that God has given me. Right? To save. To discipline ourselves to save. Now, that's, that's interesting, right? First, we talked about getting out of debt, uh, about tithing, giving our first 10% to God, and then saving. Right, Christians don't have to be poor. In fact, Christians should be people who are good with their money because they know they are not just managers of wealth, right? I'm sorry, that they're not just owners of wealth, that they're just, they're just managers of it, right? Right, how many of you have middle school kids who have rooms that are just plain old disasters? Or maybe you had a kid, uh, they're grown up now, but their room, disaster, right? Right? Looking around, shaking your head, right? Right, yeah. Just everything, right, was torn to pieces. They're like boogers on things that there shouldn't be boogers on. Uh, they're, they're, you know, just like dirty plates under the bed. It can be a pretty disgusting place. You guys are cracking me up because you're like nudging each other. <laughs> right, they're just disgusting. It's dirty, right? And then there's this crazy thing that happens, right? I've seen it with my nieces, 
right? And their rooms look like a nuclear bomb went off, right? And there's pink stuff everywhere. And there's like dishes that they shouldn't have because they're not supposed to take them upstairs, but they do. And it's disgusting. But then there's this weird thing that happens is, is that they go somewhere, like to a restaurant, a fancy place, right, or, or something. And all of a sudden, they have incredible manners, right? They're not putting boogers under the table. Right? They're, 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 they're using their napkins. Right? They, they're holding their fork instead of like just stabbing at stuff or eating with their hands. Right? Right? They're, they're speaking quietly. They're not yelling at each other. They're not uh, you know, flicking a paper football back and forth at each other. Because right? they're at a fancy place. Right? They're at this, this fancy place. They're, they're somewhere else. Right? They're, they're not at their home. It's not theirs, this, this place that they're in. Right? When we know something is not ours, we take better care of it. Right? Right? We steward it better, usually. Right? We're, we're concerned with what happens with it. Right? And that is why Christians, followers of Jesus, people who are forging our life on God, should commit to saving our blessings from God because it isn't ours in the first place. And God has already has plans for that money. That's why we need to be on a debt. That's why we already need to be giving him 10%. That's why we need to save a little bit so that we can do some things with it. We're able to, to listen to his lead with those resources. Does that make sense? Right? Because there's specifically a few things that we need to do with those resources. The first is needs, like I just said. Right? God is not dumb and neither am I. We all have needs that arise in our life and our family's lives. And if we don't have money, we will have to go into debt or other people are going to have to pay for it. Right? Right, talking about food, we're talking about clothing and shelter and transportation, the basics, right? We got to have those basics covered. We got to be, we got to be stable so that we can, we can have nothing that is holding us back from, from pursuing the, the relationship and the, the task that God has laid before us, right? And so that's one reason. But then we also have to save because there's going to be godly wants, Right? Right? Uh, in life, we all need money for different things. Right? And, and not all things are, are wrong. Not all things are bad. There's, there's college. There's, there's retirement. There's weddings. There's, there's vacations. God, God wants us to enjoy life. He just doesn't want us to get carried away with life. Right? There, there, there are things that we may need to use our savings for in order to bless someone else or to, to help our family uh, grow and, and step into a task or, or, or a will that God has for us. Right? Nothing is wrong with three chocolate chip cookies on occasion. Thirteen chocolate chip cookies every night is a problem. That's the principle. Right, finally, uh, right, we save because genuine kingdom needs will arise in our lives, and we want to help meet those. Right? We want to be the person who has, has no debt. We want to be the person that is already giving. We want to be the person with, with, with resources that are saved so we can say, I got this. God, use me. You get the glory, you get the honor. I got this. Use me to cover this need. Right? The Bible calls this offerings. 
right? That's the, the difference between tithes and offerings, right? When we tithe 10% of our income to God through the local church, that, uh, that's an obligation. No, no discussion about it. It has to happen, right? But when we, we do an Easter offering, a Christmas offering, when we buy flowers, all right, or when we are approached by a, a missionary to support their efforts, that's when we go above and beyond a tithe. That's an offering. Right? There's been countless stories of people who have had their lives changed as a result of what God does through our church. All right, and as I, I, I'm throwing a lot of information about, about this at you, but as the band comes back up, I simply just want to say this. Thank you. Because our church, we have these values that are on the wall, and I've said it before, they're not necessarily things that, that I talk about every week because they're not things that we, we do, right? right? What we do is we guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. How we do that is our strategy, right? We, we meet at the altar each week. We gather for worship. We step up to the table in Bible studies or at meals like today after church, right? Or we just go out to eat together or we get together for lunch or a coffee, right? We step up to the table and we do life together, right? That's the second part of the strategy. And then we go on to the square. We serve. We work on ministry teams. We, we give offerings, right? We, we support missionaries. Uh, we, we do outreach events in our community, Right? But what, what we are, right, the why behind it is because God has put some things in our church, right, some, uh, a spirit, right, and those things are like welcoming authenticity, right, so we want you to feel that, right, hopefully from day one when you came through these doors you felt a welcoming authenticity, that you were welcomed, but you also realize that you're in a place where you can be real, where if someone says, hey, I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling here, that there's someone that's going to say, hey, me too. Right? Me too. Let's figure this out together. Let's step up to the table together. Right? So there's that. There's an anchoring truth. Hopefully that's something you feel. We want people to feel that we anchor ourselves to the truth of God's word. Even if it's not the easiest truth to hear, like this money series. You know, like, oh, crud. I got this debt I need to pay off or, or whatever it may be. All right? anchoring truth but then the third one there transforming generosity something we want to feel and I tell you what that is so much a God given spirit in this church you guys are so generous people are in heaven because of your generosity because of, uh, of how we pull our resources together to serve, to give, to support one another when a need arises. There's never been once a need of someone in our church when I've been asked where I haven't been able to say, we got you. Right? If I call and say, hey, we need help with this. There's always I mean, we, transforming generosity. Right? And there's other ones there. We want to you know, radically grow ourselves and, and, and Christian community, all, the, all these values. But listen, I want to say thank you. Because you guys attack your debt. You guys attack your, your giving. You give. You step up with offerings. You serve. And I know a lot of churches don't say thank you. Guys, we're a debt-free church. 
And like I said, we're, we're entering into a season of ministry where we feel like God is really kind of positioning ourselves. That's because of you. So let's stand, let's worship him, let's give him thanks and honor, but also let's remember, hey, we have to discipline ourselves, all right? We have to discipline ourselves a little bit. Let's worship.